that it's okay to be in therapy. Nothing is, even if nothing is wrong with you, right? Like air quotes wrong with you. We're all in therapy because we're all working to undo, undo patterns and systems that are not healthy for us. And particularly for parents, because we always parent, many of us, I find parent as a reflection of our trauma. We even operate businesses in response to our trauma. And so how do we, how do we mother our children and our families and our businesses in a really grounded place that comes from integrating all parts of us that's really embodied in a practice of self-worth and self-love. And if we can show up in all those ways, then I think all those systems benefit. Whether you're looking to achieve financial freedom, boost your personal development, or enhance your business acumen, you are in the right place. My name is Simone Simaluka Radzins, and I am on a journey for true business freedom, and I want to have you along for the ride. Each week, we dive deep into the topics that empower you to live a more free and fulfilling life, and also give you the tools to do that in your business. I'm like doing all of this interesting healing work. And you know how I feel like so much is held in the body and girl, all of the work that I'm doing, all of the symptoms, when I look up the spiritual me are kind of related, like being able to release stuff, like, and I'm moving through processes. So like this, the throat, which is interesting because like at first you think, oh, the ability to speak, but then actually a lot of it had to do with there's like grief related to it mm. like wild stuff and I've been just trying to like ride the wave and not think too much of it not get like oh I'm sick and all that stuff but did you experience that yeah I mean you know so much of I, I will say that for me part of my healing journey is actually reconnecting my mind and body to each other because they're really separate because trauma has allowed me to like really heavily disassociate from my body. And so, um, actually my therapist is amazing. He, he said to me, I think two weeks ago, he, he goes, okay, that sounds like you're talking about loss. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think I'm talking about loss. And he goes, do you want to take a minute and take some breaths and, and tell me what that feels like in your body? And I point blank looked at him and said, no, <laughs> I just said no. And I actually said, because it would be so dysregulating to me to have Mm. to feel things deep in my body, then you're going to release me from this therapy session in an hour. And I have to go into the world holding on to all this stuff and having some physical, emotional response to my emotion. And I just said hard pass. (laughs) But I think that's, well, I'm, I think that's like when you know yourself, but then this is the question I've been having because just being in this community, like here, there are like all of my friends are spiritual. They're all some form of a healer. I've learned about all these new techniques, experienced them myself. I was like, I was supposed to be here. Like not, I mean, they're all entrepreneurs, but in a, in a different way. And one of the things that I'm really into is, have you heard of RRT, rapid response therapy? Yes, I've heard of it, but not familiar. Tell me, what is it? I'm as I'm in one of these programs, I'm getting the experience and it's basically your conscious mind and your subconscious mind don't speak the same language. So consciously we can have a belief like, oh, I want to fix my relationship with my partner or let's just stick on that one. And with that, you're going to do all the things that you think you can do. But if you're not healing on the subconscious level, 
i.e. talking on the subconscious level, there's a lot of stuff that you can't really heal or fix. But the idea, and this is what it, I feel like is such a reframe, is that you feel like, oh, the journey has to be so hard and so long for spiritual, like, rewiring or ease, or I don't know how we even want to call it. But with this, it's like, you can feel like light immediately. So it's like, it's like, and it's interesting because I'm curious because you've been on a spiritual journey, I think, longer than I. How does that resonate? Do you feel like you have to do the work? Does that feel like too much of a hack? Like it's like you aren't doing it? Like what's that feel like for you? Hmm. <clears throat> I think being like naturally type A mm -hmm. and a little bit high strung and very, very goals oriented. <laughs> yep. You know that feeling. It's really challenging for me for me to actually think about self-work as not being work or something that I have to complete. Like I, that is actually the practice is to separate from that yes, and say, this is actually a commitment to my family, to my health, to my motherhood, to my entrepreneurship. This is a commitment to me building a life that I want. And I'm going to do it every single day until I take my last breath. And so it's not work because when I call it work, it feels like a project that I have to complete. And so that's a practice for me is to really separate that. Otherwise, I do get in this rut of like, I'm not meditating enough. I'm not writing enough. I'm not, you know, going to therapy often enough. I'm not, you know, there's all these judgments that we start making on ourselves when we set some expectation of what it's supposed to look like. And rather, I just know that I have a commitment. And what that commitment ends up feeling like is when I have time and space and I'm positioned with the choice of a 20 minute workout or 20 minutes to sit down and write more often than not, I actually choose the 20 minutes to write because that's a commitment to my healing that I need right now. Mm -hmm. My healing process may change and the commitment to exercise may be the thing, right? Like that may be part of my, my spiritual practice may be exercise, but right now it's really about sitting with myself because I'm pretty bad at that. So that is, so I find myself making choices differently and that's how it shows up. I guess. I don't know. Does that make sense? For I know. You? I mean, it totally resonates with me. And it's, it's interesting because it's like even being able to like be with yourself and not listen to a podcast and like not like just be and like practice the self-love that I think for the type A CEO founder, we're not for a long time. The rewiring is like, you got to hustle. You got to hustle. You got to hustle. You're not doing it right if you're if you're taking time to be to yourself, to love yourself. Like I feel like even like there's the shit, like, I don't know, like it's just like it's almost like violence to yourself in, a, in the most like extreme way. So it it totally makes sense. How did you get to the point though to even recognize that? Because for me, that was a really long time to step from type A living just fully in my mind. Like I had to have a breakdown, I feel like, like when I was still back in the States to even like then kind of trickling into it. And I feel like I've elevated now even more. How did it happen for you? I mean, kind of circling back to what we just said about how trauma and pain and disease and disease show up in the body. And last year I had the worst physical health year of my life, um, you know, and I mean, really like the, the gastro issues that are life altering. I ended up having to be seen by the Mayo Clinic. Um, I was diagnosed with a life-threatening disorder that I do have for the rest of my life. Um, and 
I guess really it was a series of those events over the last six years since I've become a mom and been trying to run a business and do all of everything else in between, like being a good wife, being a good friend, being a good neighbor, being good to myself. I've had so many reoccurrent physical diseases come up that were all inflammatory, many of them inflammatory based. Some of them were genetic mutations that were magically turned on. Um, and I've been in the ICU for weeks at a time fighting for my life. I Last year, I lost over 16 pounds in a matter of months. You know, I'm five feet tall, normally like 105 pounds. I got down to, you know, under 90 pounds um, and couldn't stop losing weight, couldn't figure out what was going on. And all that disease, finally, it felt like my body was just screaming, like stop trying to push, perform, perfect, push, perform, perfect. Because even when caring for yourself, you're trying to push and perform that method. So I do think it was the disease that just like knocked me on my ass, frankly, and said, you have got to slow down. You are actually killing yourself. Um, now, what I wasn't prepared for was that in healing myself, I'd also have to feel a lot of things that I'm not super comfortable <laughs> feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what got me here. I think it's really what got me committed to this practice is it, I'm just trying to save my life. But we worked together last year. I had no idea. I know. And like, that's where I'm like, oh, I just want to give you a hug. Like you held all of that so strong in like you were fundraising, you were traveling, like you were yes. just showing up. Yep. And oh my God, I'm so, I'm so happy that now it's changed to something, but I'm so just wish I could hug you so much that you mm. had to go through that. Like, and I did, I, everyone thought I was okay. I mean, I didn't even know. Right. Because we put on a face. That's what we do to protect ourselves. Right. You just put on this mask. Everything's okay. It wasn't until the fall of last year that I was traveling to Vegas for MJ BizCon that I had a colleague, a couple of colleagues there. So I'm, they're a little bit older than me. And they came up to me and said, you know, we love you a lot. And are you okay? Because I looked really thin. Like I looked, you know, I obviously looked too, too thin. And I said, I looked at them and said, actually, I'm not okay. And it was like the first time I was able to say it out loud and say it. And these two women held me. They loved on me. They followed up with me with like context or resources to help me in my physical health journey. Um, and since then, I've really been able to drop in with them in such an intentional way. And so I got better about saying to people, I'm not actually okay. Um, I'm just really not okay. And I got more vocal about my physical health. And then really in the last six months, I've just gotten wildly noisy about my mental health. And I tell everyone like I'm in therapy every week and I'm doing medicine ceremony for some of my PTSD. And, you know, like I, I will tell everyone and everyone. And since that time, I've had three of my friends sign up to, for therapy through my therapist. My husband has since started therapy. We've since started telling our neighbors and our friends that we're, you know, we're not in therapy together, but we're each on our own journey. And they've been able to share with us like their therapy journey. What power to be able to unveil yes. that it's okay to be in therapy. Nothing is, even if nothing is wrong with you, right? Exactly. Like Eric, what's wrong with you? We're all in therapy because we're all working to undo, undo patterns and systems that are not healthy for us. And particularly for parents, because we always parent, many of us, I find parent as a reflection of our trauma. We even operate businesses in response to our trauma. 
And so how do we, how do we mother our children and our families and our businesses in a really grounded place that comes from um, integrating all parts of us that's really embodied in a practice of self-worth and self-love. Um, and if we can show up in all those ways, then I think all those systems benefit. But let me tell you, I can put on a face like nobody's business. You know, like, we all can. <laughs> I think that's the thing is like, well, because also if you think about like the masculine energy to try to survive, not even to try to survive, to thrive in the business world, you're not, you ha you had to, and I'm hoping that this is transforming. I think different industries, it's, it's much more apparent, but you had to do that. You had, you couldn't, if something upset you, you had to put that. And that's the interesting thing. When you push all the feelings down, they're not leaving your body. They're there. And, and I think that's the interesting thing about like when the therapist has that feel, well, unpacking that one feeling actually probably links to a much deeper feeling that, oh, I don't know. Cause it's linked. Like, it's almost like, I just think about when we're unpeeling the layers of ourselves, it's like, it's it, the vision I have isn't an onion. It's like a ball of yarn, mm. you know? almost like yeah it's just it's just wild of how those feelings can manifest also into the physical realm I mean it absolutely it's it's so interesting how you said something I wanted just to touch on a little bit and just get some examples of like how is that with parenting what you're talking about you're you know of being able to be a better parent or be able to kind of just observe like how are you seeing that now are you familiar with like the internal family systems model for therapy? Oh, could you share? Yeah, it's my favorite. That's oh. my favorite. Um, internal family systems. And granted, I'm not a therapist, so I'm only going to share this from my experience. It's not like a, you know, a, a scientifically backed explanation, but it basically sets us up to understand that we have a lot of different parts and the goal isn't to, isn't to, um, you know, get rid of certain parts. Like if there's a part of yourself that you don't like, like if you have a bitchy side, a controlling side, an anxious side, you're not trying to banish that side. You're actually trying to love it. Say thank you for all the ways that you've served me and integrate it into being a whole part of you. And so the internal family systems kind of breaks up your identity into several different parts. And there's um, highest expression of self. There's your managers or, or what I call my critic. With, which mm -hmm. is that saying like push, perform, perfect, push, perform, perfect. There's firefighters, which I call my dragon. Um, my firefighter shows up um, with rage and it does it when it feels like I'm on, when it feels like uh, parts of me are unsafe. And then there's what's in exile. And for everyone, what's in exile is really different for them. For me, I've gotten to know who my exiled is a little bit more deeply. Um, she's like eight years old. It's when her trauma mostly really set in. Um, and she has a lot of different fears that a lot of us share around like abandonment and loss and ambivalence and um, the dragon and the, or my, my firefighter and my managers are always working to protect the exiled. Mm -hmm. So when you have high anxiety, when you have a reactionary state like anger, you really begin to understand those states like anxiety and anger around, um, is it really serving to protect my exiled and being able to tell your, you eventually get to know your exiled in a place where you can hold it, love it, heal it, say, you know, I, I'm, and, and, and let her know, like, you're okay. You've served me well. Um, and let's move forward. And I think that one of the distinctions with parenting has been 
I recently learned that my dragon in particular, my firefighter does not know the difference between me and my children because my children are very similar ages to when I, when I experienced most of my trauma, when my trauma started sitting in they're six and three. And this is really common as you can get triggered in parenthood when your children are the age of your exiled. And that's just one example, but for me being able to understand that when I lash out at my children or I feel angry or feel impatient, that what I'm responding to is something, some sense of safety, right? It's like the dog that runs around the pool barking like crazy, trying to drag the children out of the pool because it thinks the children aren't safe. Meanwhile, the kids are like splashing and, and floating and having the time of their life. And so I'm constantly trying to recognize when my dragon is coming up and being able to tell her, um, we're not unsafe here. And being able to do that actually meters my reaction to not be so harsh, to be more loving, to actually see my children for their experience and not for mine, right? Because when my children are experiencing something, my really goal with them is to be present with what they're experiencing and to meet them there. But again, when we parent out of trauma, we're just parenting out of our, in my, in my viewpoint, like we're constantly reparenting our exiled. Yeah. Well, because I mean, it's, I mean, what you're bringing up, it's so, so true. So interesting, because I've seen it in different frameworks, like how I've seen it is like with positive intelligence, I've, I've seen it in two different ways, but I see it all. I'm like, wow, I want to ask you one question before I get into it. How long because this is what take it what took me a long time is like, how long did it take you to even become aware that they existed? Like you're, you're maybe your therapist told you about him, right? But like, you intellectually, think, oh, okay, yeah, maybe it happens with me. Maybe it doesn't. But when did you actually spot the, and who, which one was it that you were able to spot first? And it seems like mm. the one that you spotted last, like how, how was that process for you? You know, I was in therapy a year and um, honestly doing medicine assisted therapy is what allowed me to see things more clearly in a way that doesn't re-traumatize you. So the promise of medicine-assisted therapy is that it allows you to get close and sit in states of trauma or deep emotion without re-traumatizing you. Um, and so being able to do that allowed me to name, wow, I am one of the most anxious people I know. My manager is on overdrive, like on utter overdrive. And then having having met the medicine session was powerful, but then all the integration that comes after that, right. Which is in community with my friends, with my, you know, spiritual practitioners and where I'm really able to drop in. Um, and the more that you do that, the more that you choose to drop in and seek integration or seek to write instead of um, seeking to exercise, because for me, how I process things is through poetry. So I write poetry I'll just write pages and pages of it, like within minutes. It's like, my, almost. what's that? It's like almost downloads. Then. And it's a total download. I don't even know. Wow. It's a total download. And actually so much so that when my therapist says, do you want to talk about this feeling? And I say, no, I say, but I'll go home and write about it. Right. And I'll come back with something that we can read and then discuss. Cause it's more accessible to me in that way. Um, but, but I think it's a combination of being committed to therapy, having medicine work that allowed me to sit in states that were not re-traumatizing, integrating in community with people that loved me and cared for me, and then making active choices to be with myself, which in this case was writing, and then be able to look down on the paper and reflect and go, holy shit, 
my dragon doesn't know the difference. Because um, <laughs> that must have felt like such an aha moment. Such right? a moment. Like, oh, because I feel like that's conscious and con like subconscious mind and conscious mind connecting. Totally. Yeah. Wow, that is so powerful. Because yeah, positive intelligence is you've got this, you've, and they're just different parts of your brain. So this is what's really interesting to me of understanding like spirituality and then understanding brain science a little bit. And I'm curious how much they kind of, you know, of what your modalities, they talk about the brain science. Cause for me, it was so much more about like your higher self and your intuition and maybe your ego. But then if you look at like positive intelligence, it's breaking it into different parts of your brain that you can actually see in MRI scans. So what you mentioned, it's like you, everyone has a judge. And then within that you have these accomplice saboteurs. So I am a hyper achiever, obviously, and, you know, restless. And it, it kind of goes on. I think there's about like 10 different archetypes you can have. And so I want to send it to you and I want to do yours. Please, yeah. It's just, it's so interesting to kind of understand yourself. And then by practicing, so the whole exercise with positive intelligence, it's like really practicing small bits of mindfulness with getting access to all of the different sensations of your body. So visual labeling, like touch, breath work, all that, but it's neuro reprogramming. So instead of getting activated by a certain thing, you're all of a sudden then rewiring your brain to feel a, a different way. And I'm in, I think like week seven of it and it is different, but it's, but it's interesting because it doesn't tackle the deeper stuff, right? So there's not the understanding. And this is where I'm so curious. I'm like, there's not the understanding of the why, but I think it is important. Like that whole, I just keep thinking of it as like yarn. You do need to go a little bit deep because as you, it's like, and also have you heard this? Like your subconscious is only going to give you what you're ready to hear. Have you heard that before? Yes. So also that's why we believe in medicine work also, right? Oh. The medicine only tells you what you're ready to hear. Oh, okay. Generally. Yeah. How about like for you, for the integration and just, did you know that you wanted to find people to support you? Because I feel like that, or are your spiritual guides helping you with that? Because that's where I feel like you can get really lost if you don't have that support or that structure. Yeah. I mean, I could probably spend hours talking about this topic. I'm like really passionate about it, even at the policy level. Oh, um, passionate about it because whether it's therapy or medicine work, right. Um, or spiritual practice, I really, really deeply believe that healing happens in and among community, that healing isn't a single act that I experience alone, that healing is actually happening in community. So the only way for me to really heal is to actually be witnessed nurtured and cared for by community. And in doing that, it, there's reciprocity there because then they also heal because I am not separate from my community. Right. And so it's this idea that there's always like, I'm going to heal myself mm. and then I'm going to somehow give something out into the world mm. where I don't, I think that we're just way more interconnected than that. And so integration, for me, the only way healing happens is when it happens in community with community by community. And, and so I, before going into even my therapeutic practice, I made a really conscious decision to tell a handful of people because I was suffering. I didn't want anyone to know I was suffering. Um, and I think I chose like four people 
that I told, like, I'm really suffering. My physical health crisis has plummeted me into a mental health crisis. And I, I've got my, my husband and my business partner actually actually gave me a choice. And they said, you either have to go to therapy or we need to call 911. And I said, Oh, okay. Okay. Cause I couldn't see, I couldn't see my yeah. depth of suffering. No, you can't. It's, it's because you're in that and that's all, that's your vision. You've then gone to, I'm not sure which one that would be, but it's like your ego is protecting you so much. You've got tunnel vision. Yeah. It's that, you know, the animalistic part of our brain, like you can't, you're not critically thinking anymore. Not thinking anymore. And so I said, well, okay, I choose therapy. And then when I did that, I told a handful of people like, this is why I'm doing this. And I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm just letting you know, because there's going to be days where I look really dazed and confused and maybe I'm not present and days where I'm really weepy and days where I'm really joyful and days where I'm really angry. And sometimes I may call you and need a walk or want to go grab a, you know, a cup of tea. Like I just tried to, or maybe go do yoga with me or go see live music, like all these different modalities. And that really helped me. And then I've just made it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to where I think, Almost everyone in my community now knows that I'm in therapy, knows about my physical and mental health crisis, and I've allowed them to hold me. And the truth is, is that allowing them to hold me has actually allowed them to also heal. I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful. It's just to be that vulnerable and have, especially the type A personality. And I know because you didn't have to make that choice after you went to therapy to go tell anybody. Yeah. That's the bravery right there. Like that is such courage that I'm so fucking happy that your community is now telling other people and that you were able to tell because that is hard. So like, did you, what was, I guess, yeah, I'm so curious. Like, because when you think about like big, big things that you had to do in your life, like to me, if that is one of them is like being able to open up about you as the most vulnerable portion of you it's to me it's more mental than physical the physical is also but to me it's always more of the mental how did you do it like was it that feeling because you know it's like your intuition you know it but for you how did you go from i know like what was that process for you in terms of sharing with others you know one of the things that I'm sort of by accident, I feel very, um, I don't know, I feel very fortunate to have modeled is that when I've gone through really hard things, I started testing out, I mean, even a decade ago, if I tell people I'm going through really hard things, what happens? Do I push them away? Do I lose their friendship? Do I gain their support? Um, And I had all these hypotheses about what would happen when I told people that I, that I was suffering. And the thing that, that happened that I least expected was their own healing. I was witnessing my friends and people that I loved heal in response to my share. And I thought, oh shit, I think that we're really onto something here. And part of that, I'll give a really tangible example. I worked, um, or I, I was told my whole life that I could never have children got pregnant with my daughter really quickly. I got off birth control. Again, didn't think I could have kids. So I was like, there's no reason to be on the pill. I'm married. Life is good. Six months after getting married, I got pregnant. Um, Within, you know, six weeks of getting off the pill, got pregnant super fast, cried the entire nine months because I was like, I don't know if I want to have kids. This is insane. Met my daughter, fell in love. 
Then it took me three years to get pregnant with my son and was, you know, basically at that three-year mark was entertaining fertility treatments and going down that path. I was very, very lucky because I was able to have my son naturally. Um, I got pregnant a second time. I carried and I had my son and I just thought, man, what a ridiculous miracle um, this is. And, but again, I sort of stupidly in the midst of COVID got off birth control because I was like, well, I'm older. There's no, I already couldn't have kids. I had low ovarian reserve, right? So I didn't have a ton of eggs. I have severe endometriosis. Like you list the things, like I got them and an age was not on my, not on my, not on my side. So um, I got off birth control and uh, somewhat stupidly and then got pregnant a third time. My pregnancy, my, my pregnancy with my son, my second was um, really, really challenging for a, a lot of reasons. And I was told after that, that I should never have children again, because it would basically result in the child's life and my life ending. So I got pregnant a third time. What was amazing is that um, this is a little bit TMI, but it's, it's a good, important, juicy detail. The moment that my husband and I um, were intimate, I knew that I had become pregnant. And he was like, I literally rolled over and said, I'm so, I'm totally pregnant. He goes, okay, I'm pretty sure that's not how science works. Like, I don't even think like the egg has fertilized the, you know, or is fertilized by the sperm. Like nothing's happened. And I'm like, I'm telling you I'm pregnant. So I continue to freak out about it for the next two to three weeks. And at three and a half weeks, I took a test and I was pregnant. And I knew the whole time. Um, called up my doctor and said, I don't know what to do. It's the middle of COVID. I'm pregnant. And he said, you know, anyone, he said to me point blank, he takes a big, deep breath, takes out a, takes a big, deep breath out and goes, anyone that loves you will tell you, you cannot have this baby because it will result in ending your life and the baby's life, which of course, keep in mind, I had gone through a, quite a fertility journey. Yeah. So I was heartbroken not because I wanted a third. I don't think my husband and I had no family planning for a third kid. Um, but the idea that I tried for so long to have my second, then got easily pregnant with my third and then got told I couldn't keep it. So in the middle of COVID, I had to go to a clinic and terminate the pregnancy. And my husband was not allowed to go with me. I had to go alone, which was terrible. And what, what I did after that was as discussions around reproductive rights, so my whole family is from the South, they're from Louisiana, um, they're very, very conservative and very, very Christian, and terminating pregnancy is just never an okay thing, regardless of the cost. And I made a choice um, when I went home three months later, and I told everyone in my family what had happened. And I told them much of the same story that I told you, which was, this was a hard decision, it was the right decision. Um, it was the right decision, no matter what, because it was mine to make. And it was the right decision because it saved my life and it's going to allow me to parent the two children I already have. Mm -hmm. um, and the conversations and the tenderness, and even I will say from there and the forgiveness that emerged was really healing mm -hmm. because it allowed us to bypass any sort of political, religious, or dogmatic beliefs and really see each other as human beings. That is community healing because that now has a ripple effect for me and for them to understand that even though we very we differ very, very much in lots of beliefs, that we still have deep love for each other's human experience. We still want each other to be present in this lifetime. And that our job is to accept each other with grace and forgiveness, regardless of those choices. And then I started sharing it on social media. And then I started sharing it with friends. And I started hearing about lots of my peers who had had terminations in order to save their life. 
I had heard from friends who had terminations in order to save their life because it was just not the life they wanted. And that's also okay, right? And that's, and that's okay. That's so, however, saving their life looked, the life that they wanted, the life that they dreamed of, whatever the physical life that they were having, whatever it did for them. And the, I made my story public and I watched a lot of healing happen in those conversations. So that was, that's a long way of saying that that was a really clear, tangible example of like sharing, unveiling my shadows, yeah. how I, what I deem shadows provides so much opportunity for conversation and reflection um, and spiritual work, spiritual journeying rather that um, I really started to honor that what the sharing would look like. And so after I made a decision to go into therapy and started getting physically well enough to even be in public, but I didn't leave my house for, I mean, I stopped traveling cold Turkey in July of last year because I couldn't physically travel anymore. Um, except for the one trip I, I took in the fall, which was frankly embarrassing because I looked really bad generally. I mean, I just didn't look well, but, but that was what that though, those experiences like my pregnancy termination led me to really understand that like sharing my vulnerability here, I believe is going to offer something not only for me, but for my community. And I'm not doing it for my community, but I'm doing it because again, I cannot heal unless they heal. Yeah. I feel like you just, it's, it's not even almost a question for you. It's like, you just recognize you're going through this and you see that there's this connection between you and everybody and you and your community. And you just, it's just like intuition that, you know, it's, it's going to help somebody. It's really, really intuitive. Like that's how I see it. Like it's people permission. People oftentimes are looking for permission to heal themselves. And I think, unfortunately, they think they need permission because they want someone to say, it's okay to center yourself. It's okay to center your needs. It's okay to center your value. Yeah. Um, and we've been told as a society that, that, especially as women, that that's not okay. I think that's exactly what it is. Is like, we're operating, we're trying to like the, the journey of self healing is this way. And like the society is telling you to go this way and you have to have fucking courage to be able to say, no, I'm going to do something different. And then as the, I think the best example is like, yeah, once you say something, oh, there's everybody, so many other people now have the courage to step up and share their story. It's very, very powerful. Yeah. How do you teach this vulnerability to your kids because they're obviously still young right but then we recognize that like the like when we do like inner child work and the um the exile right she's eight right my inner child she's like seven so we're in prime parenting time right now how do you go about navigating that when you know when you know ultimately how many human beings are right and how do you do it because your parenting style when we talk, just you're all about being present. I was like, oh gosh, like I need to understand how you do it. It's not easy. And I'm not even that great at it all the time. I mean, I don't think I'm great at it 90% of the time. I think one of the things that has been illuminating for me is um, in my therapist office, there's a pillow and it has a feelings wheel, right? You've seen like the feeling wheel. And oftentimes he'll say to me like, what do you think you're feeling? And I look at the pillow and I turn it over and it's blank. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to identify my feelings. I don't 
none of those words mean anything to me. I'm just turning the pillow over and I'm like, can we move on? <laughs> and, and so, um, what I've gotten really clear on is that being able to name my parts of myself, my dragon, my critic, my exile, my highest expression of itself also allows me to name what it is that I'm experiencing and giving our children the ability to name what it is that they're experiencing by modeling it, creating a safe space, not, not reprimanding them. Um, you can create really healthy, strong boundaries, which I do. But being able to allow children to express what it is that they're feeling and giving them the tools to do that, and from my witnessing of it, naturally fosters vulnerability. And I'll give an example of it. This happened just yesterday. Um, we were all, it was after dinner and the kids needed to burn some energy. And so Tyler and I are sitting on the floor and we're wrestling with the kids and tickling them. And it, we just look like, we look like chimps in, in the forest, right? We're just wrestling and, and loving on each other in all these different ways. And my daughter who's six gets very irritated with my son and kicks him to push him away, but like kind of violently kicks him. And we were like, Wesley, that was not okay. Um, you need to go upstairs right now. So we sent her to her room um, for her to cool off, for us to cool off, right? We never punish in the moment. We just separate everybody. <laughs> we made sure Wilder was okay. We were caring for him. Tyler and I checked in. We sort of des designated who was going to go up and talk to Wes. And then um, I walked into her room and she's very emotional and she's crying. And I'm like, okay, Wesley, I'm like, I, um, it's really, it's, I said, it's really scary when we try to hurt people that we love because you could actually hurt him. And I don't think that you want that. So I said, I'm really disappointed and I'm sad because I don't think you want to hurt your little brother. And she's crying and crying. And she says to me, I just wish I had more time alone with you and Dada. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I totally understand that. We can plan dates together, which we do. I was like, we can plan dates where you just get us alone and you can pick the activity. And I said, but here's the thing. Walter's your little brother. We live together. We're going to live together for a really long time. So we kind of need to figure out how to live and play together. And she says, I know he was just making me so angry. And I was like, yep, I understand. He makes me frustrated too. But do you think kicking him was the right choice? And she says to me, I was really angry and I couldn't control my emotions and I'm sorry. And I, I almost, I mean, I just, my whole face filled with tears because I was completely overwhelmed with her ability to name her experience. That was so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Always. So right. Vulnerable. Just that example. She showed up vulnerably. So it's curious, it's like, is it when you're young and if you have the right framework, like she, did she see you do that? Did she see Tyler do that? Where did no. she, no. first, that's my first question. Like where? I don't know. I, because Tyler and I are so, I mean, I'm so emotionally stunted in lots of ways. Like I'm still on my healing journey, you know? And so again, I told my therapist last year, like, I don't even want to see the feeling wheel in your office. Like, I don't know what those words mean, but I think that I have been practicing with her. I just ask her and I say to her things like, I am, I will always support you. I am your ally. 
I cannot do something if you are acting aggressively or yelling or throwing a tantrum. I said, the only thing that that allows me to do is to separate you. And I said, however, if you tell me what it is that you're feeling, I will support you. So it had I told her as the conversation, and we only talked about it a couple of minutes, but I said, Wesley, had you been able to look at me and say, Wilder's really annoying me right now, and he's really irritating me, then I could have separated you. And I could have taken you into a room and played with you while Wilder played with Dada, right? And so I'm trying to arm her with the idea that telling me what you're feeling actually gives both of us more power to give you what it is that you want. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it's a good, I'm like, oh, I love, I love this. And what I love is that you went upstairs and had a nice conversation. You didn't put like, right. So I'm just sorry. Like you already are parenting amazing where it's like how you had the conversation, the way that you framed it. There's no blame. There's no guilt. There's nothing. There was just a conversation. Yep. I feel like that is what I'm trying to aspire to do. It's a, luckily Leva is too. So I think I've got some time, but like that is, that is to me like present parenting. Cause like, mm-hmm. I'm curious about present parenting. Like, how do you define it? What's present parenting for you? Besides no phones, because I feel like you're so good with that. Yes, no phones, no technology. I think it's just meeting children where they are. Mm -hmm. And, And the thing is, is that my parents, I love them. We have a great relationship today. But my parents weren't ever curious about my experience. They weren't curious about the things that I was feeling they were trying to survive and, and how they survived was like, you do this, 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 and this, and this is what you do. And and the ecosystem works. Like, don't fuck it up for everyone. <laughs> you know, Sounds like a, a factory or something, right? Like, right. It's yeah. like, you know, you go to school, you make a grade, you do your dinner, you do it after school, like you handle your shit. And as long as you are responsible for your shit, then we're all okay. Um, and while that created a lot of resilience for me, it also created a lot of um, trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up feeling was that my parents were ambivalent. They weren't, right? I know my parents love me, but I ended up feeling as though they were ambivalent to the outcome of my life or my well being. And so, what I want for me being present is just meeting my kid where they are and always letting them know that I care very deeply about their happiness. I care very deeply about their safety. I care very deeply about the creativity. I'm not bound to an outcome. Like how that ends up manifesting is totally up to them, right? But what I'm invested in is, is that. And so when you're allowed, when you show up and you just meet children where they are, especially when they're six and three and two, you're able to acknowledge their experience is vastly different from yours. You're able to, you're able to validate that they're having a very real experience based on their emotional capacity. Yeah. And you're able to offer them the perspective that it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're feeling is temporary. And the only way for us all to get out of it alive is to not lose our shit. <laughs> so. It's so true. And then also, I mean, this is kind of circling back to the very beginning is like being a present parent is also doing the work so you can hold that space. Because I think what happens is if you don't look into yourself or if you are operating the mode right before burnout, you're not really able to, because you're that. You are literally that. You're not anything in the, in the like, um, peripheral. And 
it just, I guess it just is very important because it's like, it's not like there's a roadmap, right? Like you always want the checklist, right? It's holistic. It's like taking care of yourself, the community, you know, having those conversations. It's just like, you just got to start somewhere. And it's, like, it's just, you just start, you, you just start. start somewhere. There's no, you know what I mean? And that's the thing is like, it's just part of also journeying in your own healing journey as an entrepreneur, as a mother is also just meeting yourself where you are. Yeah. And, you know, I loved, um, cannabis doing good posted something. My, my company posted something on their social socials yesterday. And, um, it's this man and, and he's saying, you know, on Monday you saw me and I was joyful and playful. And on Tuesday you met me and I was stressed and I was tired and on, and kind of goes through all these different experiences that he has Monday through Sunday. And he goes, but the thing is they were all me. Mm. And the idea is that you meet yourself every day, wherever you happen to be. Yes. And, and so there is not an expectation of like, because I'm on this amazing healing journey, I am not always the most joyful, playful person to be around. No. Sometimes I'm defiant and full of rage and a little bitchy. And <laughs> that's a t-shirt girl. We've got to make a t-shirt. Right? Like, and I'm still on my healing journey. I'm still, I am still in it, you know? And you'll um, probably be in it for the rest of your life, right? But yeah. at one point you've reached to, you know, what you wanted to get, but then you want to continue to go farther and farther. So, yes. Yeah. You know, so I just want to meet myself where I am and I want to meet my kids where they are. And if we can just make space for our experience, like day to day, mm-hmm. um, even just carving out that five minutes, again, it'd been really easy to go upstairs to Wes and punish her and take her favorite stuffy and say, you don't get books tonight and, and punish her. And sometimes that is appropriate. Like I do punish my children. It's not like I, um, I don't, they don't, they have consequences for their behavior, but in case some cases you get the sense after practicing it, that what they actually need is just to be met. Yeah. Right. Wesley is not violent. She's never, I've never even seen her push another kid. So for her to kick her brother, it seemed very out of, out of um, the ordinary for me. Right. And so I wanted to understand that behavior. I didn't want to react to it, to punish it. I just wanted to understand it. And similar with myself, when I show up for myself every day, no matter what I'm feeling in the, you know, the rainbow of feelings, I just try to, tr- I try to approach myself with being curious about my feeling mm-hmm. and being curious allows us to have compassion. Um, whereas I think oftentimes when we meet people we're oftentimes led to be more critical. I want to be curious and compassionate. Um, and I, I don't want to be critical. I don't want to be critical myself or my children. Um, and you can be com- com- curious and compassionate and still have consequences and boundaries. I think that's the best thing because, and maybe I'll have, we have to chat another time just about boundaries, but yeah, you can, you can have all of them. It's not that's one or the other. It's the end. I think it's, it's the end. It's always the end, right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, there's a book that my husband and I are listening to on Audible right now called Hunt, Gather, Parent. Oh, okay. That I strongly recommend you listen to. It's really amazing. And it kind of talks about um, some of the challenges with American parenting and, and, and I think particularly in European and American parenting. And they sort of did a, a, a study over time and they found that in, a, in an average day, I think American families in particular um, give their children 120 plus commands a day, brush your teeth, put your socks on, do this. Mm-hmm. And they went to Inuit families um, and they were giving them an average of two commands a day. 
Wow. Like, what what is in parenting, right? Wait, it's comparing American and European to what other families? Yeah, there was like Inuit families. They took us several different, more um, indigenous cultures, like tri tribal-based, community-based cultures. And mm -hmm. the whole point of the book is actually that parenting is meant to happen in community. Um, and that it's not meant to happen like as a one-on-one -on -one job that we all feel so responsible for. And it makes a lot of really interesting points throughout the book. And I'm only a few chapters in, but um, wow. it also, it really talks about that, that also like European and American families tend to overteach, over-engage and over-structure time with their children whenever most kids actually just need to be let outside with two sticks, um, right? And so there's the balance of like, yes, that's why all these different parenting methods are like positive parenting or all these different parenting techniques that tell you how to show up. And it's like, I don't think it's any of them exclusively. It's like, I can show up and be really present for my children. I can also provide them with really harsh consequences when they've done something that I think warrants it. And I can restructure my own behavior to give them less commands, but actually invite them to participate in household activities in a different way. Um, I can reward behavior with a star chart. Like I got all the things going on in my house, right? Like I just like every piece of parenting advice that you could get, which is why anytime someone is pregnant and they say, tell me your parenting advice, I say, don't take anyone's parenting advice. Yeah. That's my it's, advice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's so true because you have to learn it on your own. You, and what's interesting, and I'm like, maybe this is a, the next conversation that we have, but like how you don't or how what you take from being parented to parenting i feel like that's another conversation because oh, that man. that's that a was, book that's a book that's a book that's a book girl before we hop off is there anything else you want to share about just this i mean it's so deep and i feel like we could go so deep in hours but like just wrapping this conversation up anything you want to share i just hope that as one of the gifts of motherhood is that, and parenthood even, but I would say specifically with motherhood and the evolution of our culture, no mother wakes up in a day wanting to do this job alone. We are highly effective CEOs because we build teams built on mutual respect and transparency and acceptance and gratitude. And we prioritize culture first because we know inherently as CEOs that if we can put our employees first and foster their happiness, that it's going to tenfold provide return to our business. I think that we do that as a tendency as mothers because we understand the value of community and we're trying to build it everywhere we go. And if we could do that with parenting and say, my priority is actually to build a culture in my house where everyone feels like they can thrive. Because when my household is sound, um, although messy, <laughs> um, it, it actually creates a pivotal point in our greater community where other parents know that I've got their kids, where I know that other parents are looking out for them. I can call up a kid, another parent and say, I can't get my kid during a snowstorm. Can you pick them up? It means that they know that if your kid's got a sprained foot, I'm going to bring you soup. It means that if you've got a play date in an afternoon, we can call each other. 
that you start by building culture in your house and that that permeates into greater community. And I think that we see women doing that in business. We see them working to do it in their family lives. We see them already doing it in communities. And so my hope is that as we continue to sort out how women get a larger voice in in our world, frankly, that it's not that we're a female dominated world. It's that we're a female nurtured world and, and nurturing um, each other and community that we're actually going to have such a great return on that emotional, physical, spiritual investment. Cause we're going to see it in our children. We're going to see it in our business. We're going to see it in our neighbors. And so that's sort of a messy way of talking about it. But I think that there's some real gift that, Um, whether you're even ever give birth to another human being that most females hold in their womb, the ability to nurture and build community. Yes. The divine feminine. feminine. I want us to do more of it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Like it was amazing. How do you want people to find you? Um, I would love if people reach out. I can be reached at Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y. That's like boring 80s spelling. Courtney at kindcolorado.org. So again, it's Courtney, normal spelling at kindcolorado.org. I would love for people to reach out to me personally if they have questions, if you have book recommendations, if you have spiritual practices or breath work that you love, if you have retreats that you're looking into that feel nourishing or if you think that everything I said was a total crock of shit, I'm super open to hearing all of it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm so, so happy that we are connected and part of a community that are really focused on building true freedom in our business and in our life. So if you love this, if you liked it, if you found some value in it, please make sure that you like it and you subscribe to the podcast. If you're feeling extra, extra grateful, share it with a friend, anyone who might have needed this. The more people that we can help collectively, the better we're all going to be. Until next week, have a beautiful, lovely, happy, and fulfilled week.